السلام عليك زين الأنبياء Alhamdulillah, to reiterate the beautiful sentiment that Yahya expressed that these gatherings are a blessing from Allah Jalla Jalalu and that every time that we come to them they're an opportunity for us to turn to Allah Jalla Jalalu and our turning to Allah and our imploring Allah and beseeching Allah and directing our heart towards Allah in all of these different ways that we express this day in and day out, week after week, month after month and year after year. This is the source of all sources and this is the elixir of all elixirs and this is the foundation of all foundations. And if you were going to give one per, a, a person one piece of advice, that it would either be send a lot of sadawat upon the Prophet or direct your heart to Allah constantly. This is the greatest advice that you can ever give anyone and the reason that it is the elixir of all elixirs because that ultimately our entire affair is in the hand of Allah Jalla Jalalu. There is nothing that we can do without Allah Jalla Jalalu. All of our problems, all of our faults, everything that we want to change about ourselves, every difficulty that we are facing. Everything that relates to us inwardly and outwardly, all our circumstances between, uh, circumstances between us and our own selves and between us and other people, outwardly, inwardly, from every perspective, ultimately, that our entire affair is in the hand of Allah Jalla Jalalu and that we need to seek His help. Without His help that we can do nothing. And all of us, as we tread through life, we will have ups and downs. We will have times that we feel good and we will have times that we feel bad. We will have times that we're happy and we will have times that we sad, that we are sad. We will experience difficulties in life. We will experience joys in life. Sometimes things will be easy and other times that we will find them quite hard. This is the nature of life. But one of the blessings of Deen is, is that we have to have a base level of consistency of certain things that we do and we never leave. Every single person needs this. This is the pivot around which everything else revolves. Certain things that we never ever leave. And there's the obvious things that are obligations. Like the five daily prayers. And preserving them. And maintaining them. And doing everything it is that we can to pray them. In their due times. With their due etiquettes. And with presence of heart and so forth and so on. But then there are other things as well that we have to add to that. We can't just relegate ourselves to the mere basics. We have to do a little bit more at least. And these are the things that we stick to day in and day out, even when it is hard. Even when that we that don't feel the presence of mind that we normally might not feel, that we normally feel rather. And that when you stick to those things despite the difficulties and despite your ups and downs, is that you will grow spiritually even if you don't think that you're growing spiritually. And then there will be times that as a result of your consistency and your istiqamah, your uprightness in doing those things, even if they be small, 
always remembering that those blessed words of our Prophet Sallallahu is that the very best of all acts are those that are consistent even if they be few. What a blessed hadith. Because as we have seen the righteous who came before us is that certain surfaces that you might think that they can never be penetrated. But with consistency you find is that there's effects that the most unexpected substances or things will have on other things by virtue of consistency. And one of the great examples of that is water and the whole concept of erosion. And sometimes it's quick when there's a lot of water, but sometimes there's just a trickle. And if that trickle consistently drips, 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 it's going to eventually affect what it is dripping on. And that one of the righteous is that received his opening in a particular work because he kept reading it, he wasn't getting it, he was frustrated. Nowadays is that if we read a new chapter, whether we are studying Arabic or something else and we don't get it, ah, this is too frustrating. And that we have thoughts of giving up completely because one chapter is a little bit too difficult and there might be too many new words. This is not the way of the people who came before us. These are people that when things get difficult, they buckle down. And they realize, I have to put in more effort. And they realize that the fatah is in the hands of Allah Jalla Jalalu. The opening is not in our hands. It's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that weak people and light people, they buckle when things get difficult. True people, people of substance are those that buckle down, is that when things get difficult, is that there is a new that vigor that they then have that allows them to be able to forge through those difficulties, despite the fact that they are there. And this righteous scholar is that he was having difficulty with a book, and he read it multiple times, kept studying it, didn't understand this particular science. And then he noticed one day as he's walking, is that there was a well. And that well had a rope. And that there was that stones that were that around this well. And there was a pulley, of course, with a bucket where water would be drawn out of the well. And he noticed that the rope had put an indent in stone over a long period of time. And then it clicked for him. Is that if something like rope, which is way softer than stone, over a period of time by rubbing and rubbing, there's possibly multiple ropes that broke, that were replaced. But eventually, is that a soft substance like rope put an indent in stone. He thus realizes that I have to keep going. And I have to keep trying. And then he received his opening eventually that because of this. This has to be our response to certain things and this has to be our approach to gatherings of this sort is that we want to have consistency and we want to do our best too that have our hearts present in them and you never know that the opening could be right around the corner. And this is why that we have to prepare our hearts and get ready for the great nefahat of our Lord, the sweet breezes of His mercy in every single moment. In one of the greatest ways that we can expose ourselves to the sweet breezes of Allah Ta'ala's mercy is to that speak about the book of Allah and the verses in the book of Allah and to speak about the hadith of the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and to understand his sirah, his life story and to understand his shama'il, all of his great characteristics, the outward of them and the inward of them, even 
his physical stature and how incredibly beautiful that he was that this is the very best thing that we can do to expose ourselves to these great breezes of Allah's mercy and in that regard that we've reached in our discussion on Futuwa the next etiquette which this one is that as all of the other etiquettes, what Imam Sulami radiallahu ta'ala anhu does is that he mentions that great trait of Futuwa and he ties it into the Sunnah. Because the Prophet ﷺ was the master of all of the people of Futuwa, all of the meanings of Futuwa, all of the realities of spiritual chivalry were perfectly manifested in a way that was humanly possible in the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. Completely, all different attributes reached their perfection in him. So not only did he that not only did he that reach a degree of having better character than even the previous prophets and messengers who came before him. And every single individual character trait, it was exemplified and realized in the very best of ways. And this is what we learn when we study this, uh, the science of Shema'in. So this next great trait tells us a little bit about the way that a person who is that leading his people should be. And that this trait is وَمِنِ الْفُتُوَّةِ الْأَكْلُ بَعْدَ أَكْلِدْ أَصْحَابِ This might seem that it's a small and easy trait, but it is very, very important. It is from Futuwa to begin eating after everyone else has started. And this is especially if you have guests. Especially. But also is that when you're around other people. And there is a story of the companions that I heard many years ago when they wanted to test to see the character traits of these companions. Is that they brought them very good food. And then they brought the companions around this food and they noticed is that each one of them was preferring his brother to eat the very best of food. And he was taking the least for his own self. That I remember reading a story that... Uh, that dear Sheikh Nuh Kalam, may Allah Ta'ala preserve him, increase him, that witnessed firsthand from his own Sheikh, Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Shaghuri, rahimahullah Ta'ala, is that when he used to go buy apples, he would sift through the apples that the vendor was selling and to choose the worst apples, the worst apples, the ones that were bruised and the ones that were damaged, the ones that the vendor would not be able to sell to anyone else. And then when he was asked about this, that he said, may Allah have mercy upon his soul, is that if I don't buy them from him, who will? What kind of understanding is that? Who could do that? That actually prefer others over himself to that degree, where that they are actually content with less so others can have more. That is amazing. Food is... That a very important thing. And how you and I relate to food is also very important. How are we when it comes to food? Is that when we bring food into the home, do we think about other people in the home? Or is it something that we secretly sneak downstairs and to eat it before anyone else gets a chance to get at it? Is that these traits are important? That we should be thinking about other people? is that one of the basic etiquettes is, and we should ingrain this in our children, and we should be a bit strict in, on this, is that when we sit together to have a family dinner, 
is that no one begins until the oldest person, whether it's the mother or the father, the grandfather or the grandmother, or if they have a distinguished guest, begins first. You always, this is the sunnah, to let the kabir, and that could be either the eldest in age or the greatest in status at the table. They are the ones who begin, and then everyone else begins. Yes, I know it's hard when that food smells really good and you're salivating and it's right before you and mom has yet to sit down or dad maybe, it's his turn to cook and then everyone wants to start eating. And then the tendency is for everyone just to get up and then that before everyone else is done. We have to have etiquette. Food is really, really important. And our etiquette with food tells us a lot about our deen. And you cannot really have a true leader, and we're going to get to the meanings of what a true leader is in our deen without this fundamental etiquette. And it relates to preferring others over our own selves. And this was the way that our Prophet was, sallallahu he was described in that his, the, in the, his shama'in. كَانَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا أَكَلَ مَعَ قَوْمٍ كَانَ آخِرَهُمْ أَكْلًا that the Messenger of Allah when he ate with other people, he was the last of them to eat. And this, there's two possible meanings here. It could be that if he's hosting people, that he wanted people to feel comfortable. And if the host stops eating, that the other people are likely also, the guests are likely to stop eating. So that it has that meaning, that he would actually eat a little bit more than usual to make his guests comfortable, so they kept eating. And that this is also an important etiquette that if we are with other people, is that we have to be very careful to wrap up very quickly and then spoil everyone else's meal. Is that if you have a few people that are eating very quickly and there's others still eating, and you're saying out loud, Alhamdulillahi right? You're thanking Allah Ta'ala for your food, that you create this sense that the other is like, oh my God, I gotta finish quickly, right? We have, to be, we have to notice these etiquettes. Is that be a little bit patient. Now, if there's a hundred people eating in different places, that's different. But if you're together, you have to that think about other people and consider that other people and making them feel comfortable. These are beautiful etiquettes. This is if you're hosting people. But the other meaning of this is, is that he was the last one to eat, that he would let everyone else eat first, and he would prefer everyone else for himself, and then he would eat. There is a really neat book that I have upstairs by Simon Sinek. It's one of these many books on leadership called Leaders Eat Last. And the subtitle is Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. And there's a lot of beneficial information in this book. I recommend that people read it. But this idea of leaders eating last is that the person who is leading that has to take care of the other people's needs has to put their needs before his or her needs. Otherwise, that you cannot be a true leader. When Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, and we like to quote these verses to, when we talk about leadership, but we have to understand what these words mean. When Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, قَالَ إِنِّي nasi imama. That, that he said, indeed, that I am placing you as a leader. I am making you a leader for people. What do the commentators say of this? They're an example in relation to how they implement their religion. 
how that they put their religion into practice, meaning that it is not leadership in the Western sense always of that being in charge of people, in the corporate sense of that managing people in that where you can that have a successful company that maximizes their profits. Now, not all of those meanings are necessarily bad or wrong. Of course not. That it's okay to study these meanings and to have that that application of them within reason. However, is that the true meaning of imama, which is one of the words that you would use for leadership, it's really about qudwa. It's about being an example. It's about inspiring other people by the way you are. That then, that they in and of themselves want to be like that. And if we disassociate that meaning of leadership from leadership, is that then it will be distant from the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ. We have this blessed dua that comes in Surah Al-Furqan. وَالَّذِينِ يُقُولُونَ And those who say, رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَاتِنَا كُرَتَعْيُنَ That, O oh Allah, that bestow upon us, that from our spouses and our children, ayun that these blessed people that will be the coolness of our eyes, that will bring us pleasure because of what it is that they do through their obedience to Allah Ta'ala and the blessings that come to us from that. But then, وَجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ imama That bless us to be the imams for the muttaqin. Bless us to be leaders for the pious. But here again, imaman in what? Fil khair is what the commentators say is that we lead in good, is that when it comes to some type of good that we know needs to be present, we're the first ones to do it, we're the first ones to implement it. And that this is the danger of speaking publicly so often, is that sometimes we speak about our meanings, but if we were wise, we would keep our words brief and concise, and really weep before Allah and wonder, Ya Rab, am I putting into practice everything that is that I'm saying? And that if we were wise, we wouldn't speak about things before we first that made sure that we are putting them into practice. And sometimes our words don't impact other people for this very reason. And we have to constantly that be remain introspective and to at least call ourselves to account and dislike the fact that we are not putting our knowledge into practice the way that we should. And one of the techniques that the righteous use to spare themselves from this danger is that whenever they say you, sometimes they'll just say we or us, but whenever they say you, that they're not speaking to the you that is before them or is listening online, they're speaking to the you of their own selves is that they're imagining that their nafs is a different person and that they're speaking to their own self. And in a sense, that upbraiding it for the fact that we don't always keep put our knowledge into practice. So the true meanings of leadership are about leading towards good, leading in the implementation of good. And I wanted to just mention this one quote in closing from this book that I thought was of benefit. And it tells us how we have to be. And that this is these are traits in general anyone who is in a position of leadership or you could say a position of responsibility. And these are parents at home. These are teachers in relation to their students. These are that 
people working in the corporate setting in relation to their employees and so forth and so on. All of these other manifestations where someone is leading someone else or it could be just someone leading a team. Is that these are the traits, this is an example of one of the great traits that need to be there. So he says, leaders are the ones who run head first into the unknown. They rush toward the danger. They put their own interests aside to protect us or to pull us into the future. And think about this in a religious context. Leaders would sooner sacrifice what is theirs to save what is ours. And they would never sacrifice what is ours to save what is theirs. This is what it means to be a leader. It means they choose to go first into danger, head first toward the unknown. And when we feel sure they will keep us safe, we will march behind them and work tirelessly to see their visions come to life and proudly call ourselves their followers. When I think about my own teachers who are imams, this is the way they are, is that they rush head first towards the unknown, towards that what normally people would shy away from because they don't have the courage to face that danger. They are the people that lead and that we follow them because we love them and we believe in them and we have faith in them. We know that they can do that which we cannot do. And so we hang on to their coattails because of that what it is that the doors that they have opened for us. And this is even not only in a metaphorical sense, but even in an actual sense. And they mention this in the chapter of the Shama'im about the courage of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Is at one time there was a very loud sound that they heard in Medina. And by the time that some of the companions came out of their home, is that they found the Messenger of Allah sallallahu coming back riding a horse bareback and said everything's fine. He was the first person. He jumped on his horse bareback. He didn't even saddle it. And went to make sure everything was okay and then he returned in the battle of Hunayn. When finally they actually had higher numbers in relation to their soldiers than the opposing army is that when they were ambushed that some of the army fled, what did our Prophet do, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he saw some of the army fled? He rushed right towards the enemy. And he was reciting, أَنَا النَّبِيُّ لَا كَذَبٌ أَنَا الْمُطَّلَبٌ I am the Prophet, and this, there is not, this is not a lie. And that I am the grandson of Abdul Muttalab. And they say that Abbas, radiallahu anhu, was trying to hold back the reins of his mule, I believe it was, so that he would get him to slow down. And then Abbas, who had a very deep voice, his voice was Johari, that he was commanded by the Prophet to call out, Ya Ahl al-Baqarah, Ya Ali Imran, Ya Ahl al-Ali Imran, Oh, you who have memorized Baqarah, because for them it wasn't just memorization, it was meaning they had put that surah into practice. He was that stirring up the meanings of faith in their heart. Oh, you who have memorized and implemented the chapter of Ali Imran. And then they were moved, and most of them came back to the battlefield. And Allah Ta'ala taught the companions a lesson in that battle, because they thought that perhaps the numbers, and human beings are exposed to this, but this happened to them so that we could learn 
from what happened to them. And on the day of Hunayn, you were impressed by your numbers. But what did it benefit you before Allah? It didn't suffice you. That it didn't lead to your victory. Rather, many of you fled. And alhamdulillah, they came back. But this is how our Prophet was, وسلم, in the actual sense, but also that metaphorically speaking, there was a time where it was just him. And then he comes back to say to Khadija, and it was just them too. And then the first young man to become Muslim was Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib. The first older man to become Muslim was Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. The first family member besides them was Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib. And then the first that slave was Bilal bin Abi Rabah. And the first Mawla was Sayyidina Suhaib al-Rumi. These were the Zayd bin Afwan. Man? Who was it? Uh, was it Sayyidina Zayd or Sayyidina? Anyhow, that um, Sayyidina Zayd was the first Mawla, uh, the Ibn al-Harith, to become Muslim. These were the very first people to become Muslim, and there was a time when Islam was strange, where it was just the Prophet and his wife and his daughter and Sayyidina Ali in front of the Kaaba praying. There was a few of them only. Think about that. You've been sent as a messenger to all of the worlds, and that you are the only universal Prophet. That burden that is on your shoulder. And everything that he did, وسلم, is that he was the epitome of all what is considered to be good. وسلم, he was the greatest of all of the imams that lead to good. May we follow in his footsteps and benefit from his sunnah. And that is our imam that we want to be raised behind Yomul Qiyamah. When everyone will be with their imam, we don't want our imam to be the dunya. We don't want our imam to be some kafir who doesn't know anything that's going to regret no matter how successful they were in this world, no matter how much technology they created in this world, no how much power they had in this world. That is not who we want to be our imam on Yom Al-Qiyamah. We want our imams to be the great in 